0: So the first question um, we are going to ask in this, uh, in this series this week is, does God exist? We're going to kind of start at the very beginning. Does God exist? And we gave you these note cards, a little bit different than what we usually do, but the reason we did is because we would love you to follow along. There's going to be kind of a lot of information, and uh, we want you to be able to uh, uh, kind of keep up with what we're talking about and have something visually to see about what we are talking about. And so definitely follow along with us on those notes. So does God exist? Does God exist? Now, once again, we are not here to prove anything. In fact, you cannot prove, nobody on earth can prove that God exists. It's not possible. It's it's, it's not possible to to prove that something that is invisible exists. It's not like this tennis ball. Like this tennis ball, I can prove it exists. I can show you. You can see the color. I I can touch it. I can squeeze it. I can smell it. I can touch it, I can, I can throw it to one of you, and you can prove it'll prove to you that it is real. You grab it, you touch it, you look at it, you show your friends. Like It's very possible to prove that a tennis ball exists. But we can't do that with God. We can't prove in the same way that God exists. But, but Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, um, talks a little bit about uh, this argument. He kind of sets up what we're going to talk about tonight. Here's what he says in Romans 1. Verses 19 and 20, he says this, since what may be, he's gonna pick up mid-sentence. He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So he's saying, uh, we can know about God because God has made himself known. He has made some things known to us. So we'll continue in verse 20. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, you can't see them, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. Wait a second, Paul, this isn't making sense. You said it's invisible but it's, then you say it's been clearly seen. It, it can't be both. How can, you, how can you have something that's invisible and clearly see it? But he's going to continue and tell us how. He says, it's being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Here's what Paul's saying, that we can see God in his creation, there's a guy named C.S. Lewis. Uh, he was like a theologian. Um, you, he wrote a ton of books, but you know him because he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Chronicles of Narnia. And so uh, this guy, he said something about, uh, about believing in God. He said that he doesn't believe in God. He believes in God the way you can believe in the sun. Not just because not just you can see the sun, but he believes in the sun because he can see everything by the sun's light. He could see uh, because the sun, this ball of fire in the sky lights up everything. He's able to know that there's evidence that a sun exists. And he said the same thing about God. He says, just because we can't see God doesn't mean we can't see God. We can see God in his creation and the things that he provides light for and the things that we see all around us. And so, uh, as Paul said, there are some reasons for our faith. There are reasons and evidence that God exists. And, and once again, I just want to make this clear one more time. There is no airtight case. There is no perfect 100% proof that God exists. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at some arguments and some reasons that God existing makes sense. Not that God exists, but that God existing just makes sense. And, and no argument will convince everyone. There is a, maybe, maybe y'all don't know about this, but um, way before even I was born, um, we went to the moon. Right? And we landed on the moon, Neil Armstrong, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, when we went to the moon, uh, there were people that believed we didn't actually go to the moon. There are people today in 2017 that don't believe we ever actually went to the moon. Now, mind you, there are pictures. There are videos. We have the testimonies of people that were in space, in space, on the moon. We have the people that worked on for months and years and years on getting to the moon, that worked at NASA and worked in the space station and all of that. And we have all of their um, uh, testimonies. And furthermore, some of you, myself included, have gone to the space station and touched a piece of the moon. And yet there are people that don't believe we ever went to the moon. So you can't convince everybody of anything. It, it, it's not possible. And so that's not what we're going to do tonight. But we are just going to look at a number of arguments. And when you add them together, when you start to, to kind of kind of pull them together, it, it begins to just uh, gain a little bit of momentum. It begins to make a little bit more sense that maybe God actually exists. And so once again, maybe this is a reason for your faith. Maybe this this can help you push you towards God. But Whatever it is for you, um, some of these are going to be compelling for you. That's great, and you'll circle them, and you'll love them. Some of them, you'll be like, "Ah, I don't really get that. That's okay, too. They don't all have to make perfect sense. They don't all have to be compelling. Um, But we believe that some of them will be compelling. So we're going to look at five. Here's the first one. It is the cosmological argument. I know, big words. I know I'm getting started with a big word. The cosmological argument, you look at the root of that word, is cosmos, like like space. And, And this is what the cosmological argument is, very simply. Something had to cause our universe. That this massive universe that we haven't even begun to explore, that we don't even, we we know like a percentage, like a a very small percentage of. This massive universe had to be caused by something. In In our world, there is something called cause and effect. Cause and effect, cause and effect. Something had to be caused by something else. If Johnny Moffat were to walk into United tonight and he had a black eye, what would we assume? Would we assume that it just appeared? Would we assume that, oh, like, wow, like your skin just turned black? No. What would we assume? We would assume he got hit by someone, that he got in a fight, that he ran into a door, that he was playing baseball or football and got hit in the eye, that his brother beat him up. Like We would, we would, we would assume that something caused his eye being black. If you were driving down the road and you see, I know this is a little morbid, but you see a, a, a smushed dead squirrel in the middle of the road and the tail's kind of still flickering because it just got hit and, and it's, it's like, oh man, that's so sad. What do you assume? Do you assume that, oh my gosh, like it must have just spontaneously just flattened out and, and the blood got shot everywhere and it just got flattened and, and it just blew up? Like, man, that's crazy. Or do you assume, well, wait a second, squirrels tend to run across roads Cars drive on roads, probably a car hit the squirrel. You assume there is a cause for the dead squirrel, right? Because our universe works on cause and effect. And so the argument would be, our universe could not have come from nothing. There's a guy named Francis Collins, far smarter than me. He is a, like a physicist, and, and he used to be an atheist. He used to not believe in God, but he, but he came to know God through science. And he wrote this book called The Language of God. Here's what he says. He says, we have this very solid conclusion that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang. Fifteen billion years ago, the universe began with an unimaginably bright flash of energy from an infinitesimally small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. And he says, I can't imagine how nature, in this case the universe, could have created itself. And the very facts that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that that had to be outside of nature. All this matter, this massive universe, he's saying our, our world doesn't function on just something coming from nothing. Something had to come from something. Or, or where did this, this, this bright, humongous source of energy come from? Now, some people would say, oh, it just happened. It was just random chance. Somehow this, this energy formed and it just blew up and, and it created the universe we see today. And maybe that's true. But doesn't it make sense that maybe there is a divine creator? Doesn't it make sense that that flash of energy came from a creator? Doesn't it make sense that something came from a creator? Doesn't it make sense that God could have been the reason why our universe exists? So that's the cosmological argument. The second one, a little bit scientific and a little bit of a tough word as well. The teleological argument. Everybody say teleological. Teleological. I know, I know. That's a tough word, but you're going to sound smart when you talk to somebody about it. The teleological argument. Here's what this is. It is evidence of intelligent design in the physical world. It's evidence of intelligent design in the physical world world. There was a guy named William Paley, and he had this, this example. He called it the watchmaker argument. He says this, if you're walking through the desert one day, and, and, and you are on a seven-day journey from one town to another, and all you can see in every direction is sand and the sun. There's nothing, no trees, no plants, no animals, just sand. And you have all your, your backpack and your water and, your, and your, your food and all that kind of stuff. You're walking through the desert and, and in the distance, maybe you're on the fourth day, you've camped, you've walked, you've camped, you've walked, you've camped, you've walked. And now on the fourth day, you're in the middle of nowhere. In the distance, you see this gold this gold speck, and, it, and the light's hitting it, and it's super bright. And you walk up to it, and you get closer and closer, and you start to see, man, that, it looks circular, and it's small. And, and as you get up closer to it, you notice, hey, this is... A pocket watch. This is a, a little circular watch. It's got the chain. It's got engraving on it. It's one of those, uh, those clear ones on one side where you can see every little, every little gear and gizmo in it that's working together. It's got the second hand. It's got the hour hand. It's got the minute hand, and it's just clicking. What do you assume about that watch? Do you assume, from everything you know, that over the course of billions of years, sand blew, water poured, the sun beat down, wind blew, and then over billions of years, it started to come, kind of form together and become uh, smooth and round, and all these little gears begin to just, just kind of work together, and all of a sudden, it just started working? Is that what you assume, or do you assume somewhere there's a watchmaker? Most people would assume someone must have made this. Someone must have created this and left it here. When you see a painting, you assume there is a painter. If you see a car, you assume there's someone who built that car. If you see a house, you assume there is a a project manager or an architect that created the the idea of that house and built it up because there is a design. It functions together. It works together. So the teleological argument is that there is evidence of design in our universe. Here's something that's that's crazy. There are these constants, these, these constants in the world, these scientific constants that are required for us to live, for animals to live, for plant life to live. And, and, and this guy, again, Francis Collins, has a quote about it. Here's what he says. He says, When you look the, from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. He says, There are 15 constants. One of them is gravity. You know, you drop something, it's going to fall to the ground. Um, One of them is the gravitational constant. There's various constants about the strong and weak nuclear forces. There's like the size of the atom, the size of a proton and a neutron, all that stuff that uh, I forgot from chemistry 12 years ago. There's all of those forces. There's all these constants. And they have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, keep in mind, 1% chance is 1 out of 100. So if it was off by one part in a million, Or in some cases, he says, by one part, in a million, million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce or come together. There would have been no galaxies, stars, planets, or people. So he says there's like 15 of these constants. And if any one of them was off by even like a millionth of a percent or a million millionth of a percent, then our world could not exist. Imagine a bunch of little dials, and they all had to be turned to the exact Points or this universe could not exist. We could not exist. Doesn't it make sense that maybe that wasn't by chance? The the, the odds of that being by chance are just humongous. Like we can't even imagine it. Here's an example. Just with gravity, we all understand gravity to a certain degree. It's kind of what keeps our, uh, our solar system in order. If the strength of gravity was off by one part in 10 to the 100 power, there could be no life in our universe. A, a physicist or a geneticist uh, by the name of PCW Davies said this. This is what the chances are, if, or, or, or the, the, the percentage off would be. If gravity was off by one in that number, actually what that number is technically is a Google. Um, it's a 10 followed by, or a one followed by 100 zeros. If it was off by that much, just one of the 15 constants, we could not exist. Humans could not exist. Plant life could not exist. Animals could not exist. Consider like the laws of nature. Like when you boil water one day, you can boil water the next day. When you walk outside uh, one day, the sun's shining and it's not just gonna disappear. When you drop something, it's going to fall. It's not just gonna float one day. Like we have a uh, a regularity to this this world that we live in. Everything kind of um, works according to uh, what we call scientific laws. And that is the sign of design in nature. Now, once again, maybe it's all random chance. Maybe the world just got it right. There's actually scientists that say, well, there's really just uh, billions and billions of universes and it was bound to happen that one of them would support life. But to me, to me, that takes a lot more faith than believing that God simply created this universe to sustain life. It seems to me that this points to a reason that a God would make sense. Here's the third thing. And maybe if you're not into science, this one will will benefit you a little bit more. It's the beauty and love argument. The beauty and love argument. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how you feel when you look at a sunrise or a sunset. When you're out at the beach and you see something like that, you see the beauty of it. I want you to think of what kind kind of wells up inside of you. Or when you see the mountains, when, when you're up in the mountains and you see the way um, uh, that, that, that the sun glints and, the, and the, the, the snow at the top of the mountains and you just see the fog, like, like look at that beautiful picture. I want you to think of how you feel inside when you see these things. Maybe you see a painting, you're into, you're into art, you see a painting, a beautiful painting. Or maybe you, you hear a musical piece, you hear a symphony, an orchestra. I want you to f- think of the, the, the wonder and awe you feel as a human being like and you can't really describe it but it's just inside of you you're like oh my gosh like that's incredible that's amazing it, it just seems like life is meaningful doesn't it it seems like there's meaning to our existence or some of you some of you love love birds i want you to think about love i want you to think about the way you look at someone you love I want you to think of the way you look at your, your parents or your siblings, and I know you don't always like them, but you do love them. I, I want you to think about the way you look at a, a best friend or the, or the way you look at that special someone, that boyfriend or girlfriend, the way you look at them. They are not just skin and bones, are they? They, they have a soul. They have um, a personality. You have experiences with them. You've lived a life with them, and, and they are more than just a body. Y'all, y'all know I had a, had a daughter uh, a few months ago, little Sinclair. Here's a picture of her. Look at that girl. Look at those cheeks. So um, that's Sinclair. Now, when I look at Sinclair, when I look at Sinclair, I do not just think she's just, she's just a, a collection of cells that, that just doesn't really matter. It's just randomly, she just came about, she's an organism, and, and I just I care about her because I'm supposed to. No, there is a deep connection that I have with this little girl. She doesn't know who I am, or she, doesn't, she can't talk. She can't really uh, think uh, thoughts like, oh, that's my dad, or, or this is what's going on, or whatever. She just kind of functions and lives as a, as a little human being. And yet, I feel a connection. I feel a love for her. Now, if there is no God, if there is no God, then all of it is an accident. All of it's an accident. It's all random chance. Everything we feel when we see a sunset, or when we see the mountains, or we see a friend or or a loved one, everything we feel inside is a biochemical response that is not real. It's just fake. In fact, the only reason you feel that way is because over the course of billions of years, your ancestors saw those things as a way to keep them alive. They saw beautiful scenery, and they thought, oh, um, that is where water is, and that is where plant life is, and that's where animals are, so I'm going to go there, and I can survive because of that beautiful scenery, and today, we just see beautiful scenery, and we think we think it's beautiful, and that it means something, but it's really just something to keep the human race alive. Or they would say, what you feel when you feel love, it's not really love. You're just looking at something, and because... Um, the, 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 your, your body and your mind and the human race wants to keep itself alive, you see that thing is valuable so, el- so that you will not kill it, so that we don't just go around killing each other off and the humanity ceases to exist. Furthermore, they would say the only reason you're attracted to someone is because you, um, you are, are just using that feeling so that you can procreate. In other words, you can just go have sex with somebody and create more human beings so that the human race can keep going. That is what someone would say if they don't believe in God, if they don't believe that that we are anything more than just random chance. And it could all be true. Maybe we're here by random chance. Maybe there is no God. Maybe we just look at each other and we think it's love, but it's really just this, this biological response that we feel so that we can just stay alive as a human race. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's all fake. But it seems to make more sense that there was a God who put something inside of us that feels meaning. That there was a creator who put something inside of us to love one another. That it's more than just science. That it's more than just chance. I I don't see many college guys who go in uh, to college and they see a really good looking girl and they think, Wow, I'm attracted to that girl because I want to help keep the human race alive. I've got to do it. It's my responsibility. It's on my shoulders. If I don't do it, no one else will do it. What what a what a, what a great thought. But that's not what guys think. Is it? We see a girl and we're like, "Ah, oh, man, I want to I want to I want to spend time with her. I want to I want to I want to hang out with that girl." That's what we think. there's 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 a lot more to it than just it's just some scientific response to keep the human race alive maybe it's all random chance but it makes a little bit more sense that god created us for love and meaning here's the fourth one here's the fourth one the moral argument the moral argument here's what a moral is it's a person's standard of behavior or beliefs concerning what is and is not acceptable for them to do here's what morals are it's right and wrong it's your conscience it's what tells you i should do this or i shouldn't do that Here's the question. Where do morals come from? We're just, we're brought up and we just have these things. And we're like, uh, from as young as you can remember, you're four or five. You think, I shouldn't do that. I should do that. You feel guilty. You you feel like you, you did the right thing or the wrong thing. You feel good because you did the right thing. Where did that, where does that come from? Where does that come from? Here's the answer. If there is a God, if there is a God, they come from him. It's pretty simple. He put it inside of us. He gave us our conscience and he made it so that we could know what is right and wrong. But, but if we are just here randomly, if we are here randomly and there is no God, we're all just here by chance. We, we kind of evolved to this place where we are right now, where we sit right now. And, and we would then, then this is what we would say. Morals just come from our environment. They come from who raises us. They come from our culture. And that's partly true. We, we believe morally some things that people in the Middle East or people in Asia or people in Africa may not think. So it's partly true. But we can't, we can't just say it just comes from within us. Because some people would say, well, whatever you think is right, you just do. It, it's, it's, it's just within you. It's natural. You'll know what to do. Just follow your heart. Do what's right or what's wrong. But it's not true. Everybody has certain things that we don't believe is right. Generally, all people believe that one group of people should not be able to just kill another group of people just because they feel like it, like what happened in the Holocaust. Like, we don't believe that that's okay. That's why people stopped the Nazis. We don't believe it's just okay that someone walks into a neighbor's house and shoots them in the head just because. Because if it's all just relative— If we can do kind of uh, whatever we want, if if it really just comes from, from, from within and we're all random, we're all here by chance, then who's to say what you do is wrong and what I do is right. And even for people who believe this, they don't really believe this because if you were to say to someone, Hey, okay, I'm going to come and I'm just going to kill your whole family. They would say, no, 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 that's not right. That's wrong. You should not do that. But then you say, well, well, where did that come from? Where did that argument come from? Because it felt okay for me. I wanted to do it, so, so it must be okay. And then their argument works against them. What they said was okay is now all of a sudden not okay. So where does our source of right and wrong come from? Some people would say, well, it comes from nature. Really? Really? Has anyone here ever seen the Discovery Channel? Or National Geographic? Or Shark Week? Do we think morals come from nature? Okay, let's go down that road. Um, Have you ever seen a lion hunt a gazelle on the plains of Africa? And they run after it in slow motion and they jump on it and they bite its throat, they rip its throat out, there's blood gushing everywhere, and then what happens? It's little cute tiger co- or, or lion cubs come out, and they can barely walk, and they're, and they're just like crawling up to it, and what do they do? They start gnawing at the flesh of a dying gazelle, and they start rolling around in the blood, and like, ah, we love this, like the lion king, the circle of life, like this is all great. That's what nature says is okay. You just kill people. You do what you want. It's all okay. No, morals don't come from nature, do they? Morals don't come from nature. But we have morals, and we have right and wrong as humans that animals and that plants do not have. Why? Why? Where did our conscience come from? Where, where, did, where did our thoughts come from? Where did our morals come from? Where did justice come from? Where is the feeling like, that's not okay, They should not be able to do that. That should not have happened. Where does that come from if it's all just random? If it's all just relative, where did it come from? Maybe, maybe we just got it from nature, even though it doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe it just kind of started coming into our mind that that we should treat people better. But it makes far more sense that there is a God who, no matter what we believe, puts something on our hearts as to what is right and what is wrong. So that throughout history, all over the world, people have generally believed it's not okay to kill someone. It's not okay to to just hurt someone just because you want to. That's been a crime almost across all civilizations. Why? Maybe because there is a God who put those morals in our hearts. It just makes sense. Here's the last one. The last argument is this. The personal experience of God. Here's the thing about, about God, about people believing in God. Billions of people throughout the thousands and thousands and thousands of years have believed in God across history, across cultures, across civilizations. When, when there was no social media and we could not connect with the other side of the world, there were people in Africa believing the same things uh, or, or, or certain things about God as they were believing in South America, North America, and Asia. Why do we all believe in God? Why have humans throughout history, not everybody, but why have so many humans throughout history believed in God? Now some people would say, Yeah, we just made it up. We just did it because we feel bad about ourselves and we just we just want our lives to be better and we want to have meaning, but there's no meaning, so we make up a God so that we feel better about ourselves. Some people say that. But is everybody crazy? Is everybody irrational? Did everybody make it up? Now now what I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that you should believe in God. Just because everybody else does. Or just because billions of people say, that's a a terrible argument. I'm not saying that because we should not believe things just because other people say it's okay or else we would be in trouble. But it just seems like if there was no God, perhaps billions and billions and billions of people across the world and across the civilizations and across history would not have all come to similar conclusions. That there is a higher power that there is something out there besides ourselves, that there is something out there to worship and something out there to follow that is not us. Now, maybe we're all wrong. Maybe we're all just making it up. Maybe we are all crazy, but doesn't it seem to make a little bit more sense? Doesn't it seem to make a little bit more sense that perhaps we all believe in God because God put it in us to question whether there was something more, to question whether there was a God, to question whether there was some higher power. Now, these, all, these reasons, all five of these reasons, that they seem to make Paul's point in Romans. They seem to make his point where he says, we can see God all around us in his creation. Now, my belief in God, I, I really have like 100% belief in God, but I don't have 100% belief in God because of these arguments. Yeah, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they, they form 30, 40% of my belief, but how do I close that gap to 100%? Well, that's where faith comes into play. Because ultimately, ultimately, we, we need faith. Faith always will play a role in believing in an invisible God that we cannot see or touch or smell or taste. In, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is what we'll close with. Hebrews 11.1, 1. this writer talks about faith. And here's what he says. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what faith is. It defines faith for us in Scripture. It's being sure of what we hope for. We're sure of it. How are we sure of it? How are we certain of what we do not see? Because we have faith. That is what closes the gap from, "Ah, I don't have enough proof to, yes, I believe in God. So, there's always going to be a role of faith, but that does not mean we don't have to have reasons for what we believe. And maybe you've seen tonight, there are lots of good reasons, and that's not all of them. That's just five out of a ton of other arguments for God, but those are just a few reasons why God makes sense, why the existence of God makes sense. Now, once again, this series does not have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But that's why we're calling this series, Let's Talk. This is an opportunity to talk about this question. We want to talk about it after worship tonight. We're going to, we're going to finish the songs and we're going to go out there and we're going to, um, if you want to stay and stick around, we're going to have some tables and some coffee you can drink and hang out and, and talk to us and, and ask myself and Cole and some of our life group leaders questions that you have and say, explain this to me. And we might have the answers, we might not have the answers, but we can at least have a conversation about it. And maybe we can help, each other come to the place where things begin to make a little bit more sense, where our faith and our beliefs begin to make a little bit more sense. We're not just going to talk about it tonight. We're going to have devotionals throughout the week that you're going to be able to look at scripture and pray over these things. And, And just think about it. And every week we post these on our social media and you can spend time in God's word, 10, 15 minutes a day, following along with what we're talking about. And this is a way that you can think about and talk about what we've talked about tonight. And then we're going to go to life groups on Wednesday night. And we want to invite you to bring these notes, bring what you wrote down, bring your questions, bring your arguments, bring what you learned during devotionals this week, and then come together and talk about it. I believe the next three weeks are going to be like the best. Conversations we ever had in life groups because we're not gonna necessarily look so much at a scripture and talk about it. We're just gonna talk about, man, what do you think? What do you think? Man, let's talk about this argument. Let's talk about that reason and let's just have a discussion about it because as a church, we are called to just grow towards God together. And part of that is just asking questions and having doubts and not being sure and helping each other. We're spurring each other on towards God. Now, we are not all the way to Jesus yet. All we've really established is that it makes sense that a higher power exists, that God exists. And we're not to the God of the Bible, we're not to Jesus, we're not to any of those things. We are just to God. But but if God exists, the next question is, well, well, how can we know him? How do we find out about him? How do we grow closer to him? If there's this higher power, well, what is the way to him? Well, there was a guy named Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way to where you're going. I am the way to the Father. In fact, in fact, I am God on earth. I am the son of God. He said something that was crazy to everyone around him that was blasphemous, that was like, I can't believe you are saying that you are the son of God. And that is why people killed him because they could not stand the claim that he made. And yet he made that claim. And so next week, we're going to look at that claim, and we're going to ask the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I hope you'll join us next week. Let me pray over you, and we're going to close in worship. Heavenly Father, I know that tonight we talked about a lot of stuff, and some of it's confusing, and some of it's just out there, but Lord, I pray that you would take those things and just just start to, to move in our hearts and our souls and our minds, that you would... You would take the things that I spoke about and make them make sense to everybody in here from the sixth grader to the life group leader. Lord, I pray that you will, um, you will use the things we talked about tonight bring us closer to you. I pray for the person who doesn't believe in you, but maybe, just maybe, they're beginning to consider that there is a God. I pray that you would draw them close. I pray for the Christian in here that has believed in you for a long time. I pray that they would be, um, they would be reinforced in their faith and just even believe even more than they did when they walked in. Yes, God is real, and I am following him, and I know him. Lord, I pray that next week as we talk about whether or not Jesus was really the son of God, whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead. Lord, I pray that we will invite like crazy and that we will come here and hear more evidence and reasons for why we believe what we believe about Jesus. Lord, draw us close to you and show us yourself throughout this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship.